Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. This week we're talking about Mosul and its liberation from the Islamic State. We'll look at what this victory means for the overarching fight against the group and how this battle was won. But before that, we have to look at how Mosul was lost in the first place. And to do that, we go back to June 2014. Another major piece of what America fought for in Iraq was lost today. Islamic militants seize control of Mosul, Iraq's second biggest city. It's a major blow to the government and prompts calls for a state of emergency. These radical militants belong to ISIS. They forced Iraq's army and police to abandon their posts. Left behind were money, weapons, and these American armored vehicles given to Iraq, now in the hands of the militants. Anthony Cordesman is the CSIS Berkshire in strategy and a Middle East expert. So, how was Mosul lost? When the United States left Iraq, it had really not finished training the bulk of the Iraqi forces. And in the political debates that followed a nearly tied election, Prime Minister Maliki basically shifted to a very pro-Shiite position and tried to manipulate the security forces so that they would be loyal to him, and in doing so, showed very little interest in their quality and a great deal of interest in controlling. As time went on, he created more and more tension with the Arab Sunnis, which are largely in western Iraq, and in the areas around Mosul, which is the second largest city, at one point had a population of some three million and was largely Sunni. You ended up basically with many of the ordinary Iraqis in the West in an almost open confrontation with the military, the police, the security services, large-scale protests, a great deal of hostility to the central government, to the Shiite security forces, something that almost undid all of the effort that the U.S. and Iraqi security forces had gone through earlier, which was really something that had more or less suppressed support for al-Qaeda and Islamic extremism. But all of this came back, and when ISIS invaded from Syria, it first moved into the southern part of the western half of Iraq, coming up through Fallujah to Crete and elsewhere, and then moved into Mosul. And with very small forces, actually, ISIS basically pushed out a very, almost vastly superior Shiite government force, which collapsed and ran. And at that point, there was nothing really to resist ISIS from taking over the city, establishing what it called the caliphate, and pushing really north and further east to a degree where it really, at one point, almost threatened to take control of Baghdad and a good part of the country. Attempts to retake the city followed in 2015, and then in October 2016. Right now, a major offensive in the fight against ISIS. Breaking news. The massive battle against ISIS launched overnight. It was underway. Thousands of troops led by Iraqi security forces. They are clearly moving on the city. So... How did they do it? There really were several different paths. One was that you had the regular Iraqi forces taking the area around Mosul, moving toward the city, largely going from east to west. 
you had smaller, largely Shiite militia forces, but also some Sunni elements that had come up from the southeast, curving around the city, and you had a large Kurdish force gradually moving down on Mosul. And then it became, as they really moved into the urban populated areas, a different kind of fight. This was a long, really brutal battle in terms of urban warfare. When you talk about a campaign, you had shifted from a more regular form of war to almost step-by-step, street-by-street. And as this went on, it wasn't one type of fighting. The closer that people got toward the center of Mosul, the more air power they needed, the more fire support from U.S. Marine units and attack helicopters was needed, the harder it was to manage every aspect of the fight because of the civilian population. So we're not talking about one set of tactics or one strategy. And the battle took a lot longer than anybody planned. And if we hadn't kept changing the tactics to increase the support, it probably could have taken much longer than it did. So this was really difficult fighting. And in retrospect, the government probably made a mistake. Pentagon officials today on defense, assessing whether U.S. airstrikes may have killed more than 100 civilians in the heavily populated western part of the city. The U.N. now calling on Iraqi and U.S.-led coalition forces to review their tactics to protect civilians and to abide by international law. It thought that by asking civilians to stay, they'd be safer. The fight would be relatively quick. Instead, the fight took so long that people who had sheltered as civilians couldn't get out without crossing the battle lines. But there weren't supplies, food, the basic necessities, and there was no security. So we're talking hundreds of thousands of people who were driven out of their homes, a lot of which were destroyed or simply reduced to the point where there wasn't functioning power or water, where it's going to be very hard to go back. But this was fighting where, again, the Iraqi forces had an extremely difficult job, even with air power and fire support. And some units, particularly the counterterrorism force, took very, very heavy casualties. And are there lessons then to take from this campaign that could be applied to uh, another ISIS stronghold, Raqqa? There is a tendency to assume that perhaps if you take the two major cities, it will collapse or disperse. But understand, when people talk about defeating ISIS, they sometimes add this strange phrase, the physical caliphate, which means the main cities. There'll be tens of thousands of fighters that survive, a lot of them foreign volunteers. Some of them may go back as terrorists to their country of origin or use their passports to move. Some may stay. Native Iraqi ISIS fighters may disperse, become stay-behinds, take on a new form of ISIS resistance. Others may go to join the Arab rebels, many of which now are parts 
of other Arab extremist groups. So we don't have any date certain for when ISIS will really be defeated. It isn't a matter of just Mosul and Raqqa. And perhaps most importantly of all, we don't know what happens next because ISIS isn't the only extremist and terrorist group that's involved in the fighting. There are an awful lot of other elements, some of which are tied to al-Qaeda. And to bring it back to Mosul, uh, now that it's been liberated, what's it going to take for the Iraqi government to hold it and to, um, I suppose, begin the process of, of bringing normalcy back to, to this city? Well, if you see the Iraqi security forces stay on the offensive, they'll probably clear out all of the remaining ISIS enclaves. But they'll still be fighters. So you're going to need military forces in the area, paramilitary forces. Whenever you have large numbers of people returning to a city affected by war, a lot of them try to find an apartment or a home or anything, even if they don't have property rights. Other people want to go back to their homes. You have all kinds of low-level looting, arguments, fights over businesses, efforts to establish new kinds of ways of earning a living, some of which aren't very legitimate. So you have a constant problem in dealing with security. And that's going to take not only military, but paramilitary and police elements. You're going to have to move a justice system, courts, jails, in as quickly as possible. But most of all, security is a matter of being able to live. So you're talking about restoring power, water, sanitation. You're talking about making sure that there is a food supply, that people can afford the food, or that there will be emergency aid to people because often they will not have the money to sustain what can be a long period in Mosul before jobs and businesses are reopened. So security has a lot of dimensions. Another one is making sure you don't have people taking reprisals, simply and this has already been a problem, attacking the families of ISIS fighters, punishing them for what the fighters did, or settling old grudges, blaming people for being ISIS that aren't ISIS, fighting over real estate, fighting over businesses. This is something that really requires a lot of immediate effort, and you have to blend humanitarian efforts with physical police and military security efforts to get real security. And what about the U.S. involvement? Do these forward advisors, do they remain? Do they, they continue helping the Iraqi forces? Or is their kind of job done? Well, I think we have to see exactly what is going to happen. It's very easy to describe both the best case and a worst case. But all of these cases tend to be very different, and they're influenced, for example, by the fighting in Syria. They're influenced by whether relations between the Iraqi Kurds 
and the Arabs remain good. They're influenced by pressure from Iran and pressure in terms of Sunni-Shiite tensions and what's happening in the other parts of western Iraq and how well things work with the tribal groupings there. It would be dangerous for the U.S. to rush out. It would be dangerous for the U.S. to try to interfere in issues where really the Iraqis are going to have to settle things. And you can't separate the role of security advisors from the role of humanitarian relief, where the U.S. may also have to pay a role. I think that we need to be flexible and patient. We're talking about a city with millions of people. It's directly connected to the other cities, many of them Sunni, in fact, almost all of them Sunni, along the river from Mosul down to Ramadi, Fallujah, and the areas close to Baghdad. And we have to do what we can to help Iraq establish stability and do it in ways which don't simply deal with the immediate sort of emergencies, but can sort of help the country heal. And that was Anthony Cordesman bringing us to the end of this week's show. And of course, as always, if you have any feedback on the show, please do let me know. You can find me on Twitter, you can email me at cquinn at csis.org, or even leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back with more next week. Until then, thanks for listening.